Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The scriptures speak to us this weekend about the images of faith. In the first reading from Isaiah, as well as in the gospel with Jesus, they both teach us what faith looks like. It best mirrors the relationship between husband and wife. Both Isaiah and Jesus teach us that God wants a close relationship with us. In fact, an intimate relationship that closely mirrors the intimate relationship between husband and wife. As Catholics, we believe that in the sacrament of marriage, there is that act of self-giving. Both the husband and the wife, they gaze upon each other and they say to one another, my life is about you. My life is about the love I receive from you and the love I return to you. And in doing so, they share lives with each other. Well, that's the level of relationship or the level of intimacy that God wants and desires with us. See, that's what Isaiah is getting at at the first reading. Notice what he says. You shall be called my delight and your land espoused. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder creator shall marry you. Here Isaiah is telling us, our God is a God who wants to enter into a life-giving relationship that's based upon the intimacy of love. That's what God wants from us. Isaiah continues, he says, as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall God rejoice in you. Well, our God rejoices in us always because we are espoused to him. Notice the sequence here. You shall be called my delight, your land espoused. The Lord delights in you. Your land will be his spouse. The builder shall marry you. In each of these cases, it is God who plays the active role. We are in the passive role, the recipients of God's love and rejoicing. See, what Isaiah is getting here is God is speaking about a mystical union that he wants with us. Here we see just how passionately God loves each and every one of us. Our faith, our relationship with God is one in which God first desires and actively pursues. Isaiah is painting us a beautiful portrait of what faith looks like. It best mirrors the relationship between husband and wife, that level of intimacy. Now, Isaiah sets the tone for the gospel story. In the gospel, we hear that classical story of the wedding feast of Cana. Now, remember, it comes from the gospel of John. And in John, 
every story is heavily saturated with symbolism. More to it, in this story, we see the very first miracle that Jesus performs, and he performs it at a wedding. Well, it's very intentional, isn't it? How appropriate? Why? Because if you look up and down sacred scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God is constantly referring to our relationship with him as a festival, a banquet, a feast that has nothing but the best of food, the choicest of wines. This is because God wants to give us life and life in abundance. More to it, this gospel essentially fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that we heard in the first reading, that God wants to marry us, his people. Now, if you read the gospels, all four of them, Jesus, from time to time, refers to himself as the groom. The church, we, as his bride. That's the level of intimacy that God desires from us. Take it to a deeper spiritual level. Look at Jesus Christ himself. He is the marriage of divinity and humanity. Here, Jesus Christ himself, he has both a human nature and a divine nature. And in that configuration, in that union is a marriage, and therefore it becomes the source of our life and our love. Now let's get back to the story of the gospel. We find out that the wine is running out. Now we have to understand, weddings in the ancient world were far different from the weddings that we experience today. Today, our weddings are one in which we go to the church for the ceremony, And then we go to the hall for the reception and the dinner, and it's all wrapped up in a matter of just a few hours. Not so in the ancient world. Back then, weddings lasted two, maybe even three days. Now, as a host, you had to prepare for this. You had to know exactly how many people were invited and then be prepared that the wedding feast would last two or three days. You had to make sure that there was enough food and wine in order to accommodate all these people. If you ran out, it was a source of great embarrassment for you as a host. More to it, you basically brought dishonor to your guests. So in the story, we find out that the wine is running out. Now notice who finds out this. It's not the wine steward, which is his responsibility. It's not the head waiter, no. It's not the host, no. Nor is it the bride or the groom. It's Mary. Mary finds out that the wine is running out. And that's very interesting. It might suggest that she is a relative of the wedding party. But let me address that a little bit later. Now, wine. We've all tasted wine at some point in time of our life. Many of us enjoy it. It has a nice zest to it, a nice flavor. It intoxicates us. It relaxes us, maybe enlivens us. It lifts up the party. Well, that's what wine does. You know, it gives us life. Now, Mary notices that the wine is running out. Where does she go for help? She doesn't go to the wine steward. That would be a logical conclusion. She doesn't go to the head waiter. That would be another logical conclusion. 
She doesn't go to the host or the bride and the groom. Instead, she goes to Jesus. Why? Jesus is an ordinary guest, just like everybody else. Did he come with wine? Hardly. But she goes to him. Notice what she says to him. They are running out of wine. Now take this to a deeper spiritual level. When she says they, she is referring to the human race. The human race is running out of the life that was once given them when they had union with God. Essentially, she's telling Jesus the human race is running out of everything that once preserved that union that it had with God. The marriage between God and his people is breaking up. Mary here, she stands for all the prophets of the Old Testament. She goes to her son and she tells her son, the world is running out of life it once enjoyed united with God. Now, that's a powerful statement. She goes to Jesus. She goes specifically to him because she knows only Christ can restore that union. Mary knows that only Jesus can restore that union of life, of intimacy, that God had with its people through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus acts. He orders six stone jars to be filled with water. And that's good. Very good. Water. What is it? Well, it's ordinary, isn't it? It's tasteless. It has no flavor. There's no spirit to it. It won't intoxicate us. This water symbolizes all the things that we achieve in this world apart from God. Art, science, politics, music, architecture, our occupations, whatever it is, these are all good. There's nothing wrong with them. They're all good. But ultimately, they're not the source of true joy and peace in our life. No, they don't give us meaning and fulfillment in life. Whatever we accomplish in this world apart from God will never satisfy us. Why? Because we have an infinite longing for the divine in our life. And only God can satisfy that longing. Notice next in the story, they bring the water. They bring these jars filled with water to Christ. That's good. That's very good. Everything we do should be brought to Christ. Again, art, science, literature, music, architecture, our occupation, relationships, our very self should always be brought to Christ. So that what? Christ takes them and he transforms them. Just like he transformed the water into wine, he takes them and he transforms them such that something now in our life is intoxicating. Something now in our life is life-giving. That's why stewardship is at the heart of this message. Time, talent, treasure, heart, mind, and soul. Give these all to God and God will transform them. He will make them the best that he could possibly do the best of we could possibly be. And yet all these things that are separated from God, they're flat. They're like water. There's no intoxication. There's no life. They bring us no fulfillment. These water jars before the miracle, they symbolize our secular culture divorced from God. Now, 
this new wine that Jesus creates. It's the best of all the wines that are served. That's why the steward or the head waiter, after he tastes this wine, he goes to the groom and he says, everyone serves good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely an inferior one, but you have kept the best until now. Well, he has identified that the wine that Jesus has created is the very best. Every other wine that's been served is far inferior to this wine that Christ created. What's the implication here? Well, it symbolizes the divine Holy Spirit operative in us. The implication? We must bring everything to Christ. Everything that we have, our occupation, our relationships, our very self, our time, talent, treasure, heart, mind, and soul, bring it all to Christ. Christ will unite all those things to himself. And in doing so, he transforms them. He makes the very best of them. Now our lives are truly alive. Now we are intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Now we are truly transformed into better people. Like this wine, we are truly the very best people we can possibly be because Christ has united his life to us. And really, that's at the very heart of the story. One last thing to think about. Mary. We never hear from Mary again after this story. We see her again, yes, at the foot of the cross, but we never hear from her again, her words, after the story. What are the last words of Mary? Do whatever he tells you to do. Well, think of it. It's a powerful spiritual statement. Mary knows who Jesus is. She knows he is the Son of God. She knows he has come to save the world. That's why she speaks these words now to us. She tells us, do whatever he tells you to do, and we will be saved. Again, allow those words to resonate deep with inside of you. Those are powerful words. Today, Isaiah and Jesus teach us that God wants a relationship with us. That relationship best mirrors the level of intimacy that a husband has with a wife. And that's what God wants from us. God wants to lift us up, to unite his life with us. What's expected of us? What's required of us? Well, to follow the mother of God's words. Do whatever he tells you to do, and we will have just that. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.